Not really. But in case I do. We're in Daniel chapter number 1. Well, we've... Uh, now, if you had not found Daniel yet, it's right after Ezekiel. Ezekiel's a great big book toward after the center ways of the Old Testament. And then right after Ezekiel is Daniel. But we followed... Uh, in our series on Wednesday nights this summer, we followed a lot of the saints of God from one place to the other. Remember, we started out back there in the Garden of Eden, and we, uh, we also found Abraham on the road and Moses on the road and some of the other saints. And we've been highlighting in these messages on Wednesday night the special places where those people, the saints of God, the people of God have gone, and the unique circumstances that happened to them there. And tonight, we will find one a little bit different than the others. In Daniel chapter 1, let's begin reading in verse number 1. <coughs> in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Verse 3. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Now the Chaldeans, the Chaldean culture was in Babylon, and it's a culture that is full of magicians, astrologers, and false science, and, and as well as false religion. And so... They're trying to brainwash these boys that they brought out of Israel. Verse 5, And the king appointed them, the children of Israel, a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And verse 7 says, Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he... Now, the reason he's changing their names is trying to make these guys into Chaldeans because he knows they're already... They're solid in the uh, faith from Israel in the one true God, so they're changing their names, trying to change everything about them. And he said, Unto the unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and unto Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel, I like this, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink, 
For why should, I, why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. So this prince of the eunuchs, the Chaldean, the king's man here in Babylon where the children of Israel have been taken prisoner and captive, the prince says, well, Daniel, I don't think I can do that, man. If, if you guys refuse to eat the stuff that the other guys are eating and drinking and you don't look fair and healthy, you're going to get me in trouble and it's going to be off with my head. So verse 11 says, Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat. Pulse being kind of a, a bean. I mean, you can't beat beans in cornbread, right? And so this is kind of a, a grain or a bean, pea-like substance uh, to eat, and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink. And gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even under the first year of King Cyrus, some 70 years later. Well, let's pray together and study this passage out. Father, I pray that you'd bless us tonight. May the Holy Spirit open our minds and our hearts, Lord, that we might see the things that you want us to see. And as great a story as this is, Lord, we want to see the principles that might enrich us as Christians tonight, that we might serve you in a better way than ever before, that we might stand for the faith, and Lord, that we might be effective and to continue steadfastly throughout our lifetimes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in our journeys of the past, we've seen several of these saints. Now we find the saints has been carried away captive out of their homeland from Israel. And Nebuchadnezzar the king takes them back to Babylon and uh, they're kept there. Now warnings had come from God. You remember as you've read your Bible, you remember God has warned the northern kingdom of Israel. See, Israel is split in two, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. And I guess they had kind of a Mason-Dixon line around Samaria there. And so the northern kingdom, God has warned them over and over. They had a bunch of evil kings in the north. And uh, finally, they just, both the north and the south, just decided they're going to go their own way. They don't really intend to follow God. Now, there's a few godly families, as there is in America. There's still some godly families that live for the Lord. But by and large, 
the people in the north were awfully horrible, and the ones in the south were just almost as bad. And so God had warned them, and since they ignored God and they followed the idols of the, of the Canaanites, they, uh, they finally got carried away into captivity. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've all been carried away as well. And when they were carried away, the King Nebuchadnezzar, when he went into Jerusalem and into the Holy Land, he had his men to pick out the ones that would be the cream of the crop. Those who seemed to be educated, they looked healthy, young, able to work, people who were profitable to the king. He carried them away into captivity and he left the sickly folks and maybe the the ones who were not as profitable to carry off to captivity. He left them behind in Israel. And so he picked the good guys, the ones that he thought would be most helpful to him. And Daniel was one of those exceptional ones that had extremely good knowledge. He'd been trained. I I, I suppose his parents must have taught him really well. Maybe he had been taught by the rabbis. and maybe, Maybe he just had an exceptional IQ. But he was one who had wisdom and was in contact with God because it says in one of those verses that we read, like verse 17, it says that God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom and Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. So God was in contact with Daniel. Daniel was one of the greatest leaders of all. Now as the two kingdoms of Israel, as we'll see on the map, uh, as the two kingdoms of Israel were taken into captivity, uh, their travels might have been uh, similar to what we see in this map. We got that map? There it is. The purple arrows up at the top is kind of representative of how the northern kingdom of Israel got carried away into Assyria. And you can see the different little points on the, on the lines, the arrows. They just kind of got dispersed out across Assyria and they just kind of faded into oblivion. And then the, the, the green one is the southern kingdom which would be south of the Euphrates River and the Tigris River, and they're carried along the river into Babylonia. And so you can see there's two distinct uh, captivities, north going more to the north into Assyria, and the southern kingdom of, uh, of Judah being carried into the southern part into the Babylonian kingdom. And so Daniel was probably raised in a very godly home. That would explain how... He had such respect for God, for God's word, and walking with God. And boy, bringing up kids in a godly fashion makes a difference. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Now, that's not a, that's not a 100% promise. You can be a good parent and do everything in your will, but your child still has a will. And so don't think that if you've done everything right, that there's a 100% guarantee that, that they're going to go in the right direction. But the general principle in Proverbs is that if you'll train a child, his, his chances, his opportunities will go way up for turning out for God. That evidently happened to, <clears throat> to this boy. And Daniel was probably, having been raised in a godly home, when he got carried away into Babylon, he walks into that place, into that kingdom. Oh, it's a, it's a kingdom of splendor. I mean, it's a beautiful place. The Hanging Gardens there was one of the wonders of the ancient world. 
And the hanging gardens was walls that the king had built for his wife. And on each level, it's kind of like a terrace going up. And there would be beautiful plants and flowers and vines on each level going up. This was one of the... One of the wonders of the ancient world. And I can just imagine when Daniel walked in that place, he's going, wow, look at this. But that's not all. Man, they had the nightlife. They had the party life. And they had, they had all the things to bring pleasure. And they had the temptations of the witchcraft and, and the voodoo and the astrologers and all of the fake religion. They had all of that. But Daniel being raised in a godly home... He probably met his share of the temptations, but thank God his folks trained him right. And he purposed in his heart. Remember that verse we read? But Daniel purposed in his heart. See, if you wait until you face a temptation, you're going to be a lot weaker in facing that temptation. Daniel purposed in his heart. That means he'd already made up his mind. I don't care what they show me. (laughs) I'm remaining with the Lord. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to worship the true God. And so Daniel made decisions <coughs> as a captive. And some of these were risky decisions, but they were righteous decisions. Look at this picture. This kind of shows what we read about Daniel and his friends saying no to the king's wine and to the king's meat. Man, don't you know the king was offering them some delicacies? They said, no, we'll just... We'll have some beans and rice and water. That'll be fine. Well, that's risky. But Daniel had purposed in his heart, and the risk to be righteous was worth it. Daniel was faced with life-changing, life-threatening choices. And it was a decision to either compromise his faith. Are you listening? It was a decision to compromise his faith or risk his physical life. I don't know how many of us are willing to do that. Daniel was. See, I think this whole passage of Scripture seems to emphasize, in my mind, how important decision-making is. Decision-making. What you did today was probably because of a decision you made yesterday or before. Daniel purposed in his heart. Life is filled with decisions. <laughs> My first trip into New York City, driving a truck, going, come across Staten, uh, going to Staten Island, and I come to Ver- Verrazano Bridge, and I wasn't prepared for this. I'm from Arkansas. I'd been in a few big cities, but not like this. When I come to that Verrazano Bridge, I mean, you've got a split second. You've got like eight or ten lanes of traffic going one way, and you're in the midst of it, and you've got nowhere to go except straight ahead unless you can ch- change lanes. I looked up ahead as we got to that bridge, and this lane all the way over here indicated you go to this side of the island. This next lane indicated you go on this freeway. This sign indicated you go that part of the city. This one says you go to that borough. And every one of those, you got like eight or ten decisions to make in a split second. You got no chance to sit there and say, now, hmm, which one of those am I supposed to take? You got to decide quickly. Life is that way sometimes, and if we don't know, see what I should have done, if I had realized that was going to be so complicated, I would have taken a map, and this was before GPS. <laughs> see, you, you, you're used to driving by GPS, and you just do whatever it says. 
in that time, you had a road atlas. <laughs> and in the middle of New York traffic, you don't pull out your road atlas in the middle of nine gazillion cars and say, now, which one of those do I want to take? <laughs> you got to know. If I'd have studied out that city map before I got to that bridge, I would have known which lane to take getting on that bridge. We spent the rest of the night wandering around New York City. <laughs> and sometimes people make poor decisions in life and they spend the rest of their days wandering around trying this and trying that, and trying to figure out where they're going. I see so many people today that they don't really think through their decisions. They just do something and then react to it after it turns out good or bad. Yogi Berra said once, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> That's kind of, some of the, like some of the advice we get, isn't it? <laughs> well, many of our decisions can affect our entire lives. This is why moms and dads, it's so important. Listen to me. It's so important to guide your children to think things through. You date this guy, lady, he says, yeah, I believe in God, but his life doesn't show it. And you end up falling in love with him, whatever that means. I don't know that you fall. I think it's usually a decision. But you get engaged and you get married. And then you find out he's not going to church anywhere. He don't believe in, he don't believe in the Lord as his Savior. It's better to teach your kids to think these things through. You end up with some jerk that beats on you, runs around with other women, won't work. Boy, it's better to think it through. Decisions of destiny are most often made in youth. I mean, just think about it. What do we decide in our youth? We decide who we're going to marry, whether or not we're going to get saved, what kind of career or job we're going to have in youth. And boy, once you set out on that excursion, a lot of times it's too late, or seems like, to turn back. Many of these decisions are very difficult and deserve a great deal of consideration. We're learning something from where the saints have tried. Daniel had to know something about what he was going to do when he got there. There's a lot of miles up there from Israel to Babylonia. I suppose he must have thought a lot about this. Now, when I get there, am I going to let them shape me or am I going to let God be in control of my life? You see, when I read about Daniel, I'm in about the 605 B.C. And that last verse that we read in chapter 1 when you come to the first year of Cyrus, you're in about 536 B.C. And if I'm, in Dan, if I'm Daniel, because of life of good decisions behind me, I don't dread the future nearly so bad. And I'm able to stand other tests that come along. People need to know how to make decisions. I preached on that a lot of times, but then I see a lot, a lot of decisions that didn't look like they were thought through. And so I feel like I've got to preach on this subject again, decision-making. And because we see it in passage after passage after passage, 
people make such bad decisions. I mean, and some people can't make decisions at all. <laughs> I mean, the highway is littered with flattened squirrels that couldn't make a decision. You know what I'm talking about? And so if, if you don't make a good decision, you're going to get run over. Well, let's look at some of these attributes quickly that Daniel's decision-making brings to light. First thing we see that his decision, his decision to say no to the king's food and the king's meat. You say, why is that so important? Jews had some pretty strict dietary laws. And, and the Bible warns over and over again about, about the dangers of alcohol. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor to drink. Look not upon the wine when it giveth his color in the cup. For at the last it biteth like an adder and stingeth like a serpent. Boy, it's bad. All through the Bible, liquor, alcohol is warned against. You say, Brother Brooks, doesn't it talk about wine in the Bible? Yeah, but there's a whole bunch of different kinds of wine. It's just like the word wine in the New Testament is oinos in the Greek. And it can mean fresh grape juice. It can mean fermented wine with alcohol. Or it can mean grape jam. You know, like the Welch's you put on your toast. So a lot of different, a lot of different kinds of wine in the Bible. And, and in the uh, Old Testament, the Hebrew words tyrosh and shakar, they, these are words that can mean, it can mean grapes still hanging in the cluster. When it says wine in our King James Bible, it can mean grapes hanging in the cluster. And I can show you some verses to prove it. But I'm not preaching on that tonight. But Daniel knew that he's going to face some temptations. And so to turn away the king's meat and the king's wine was a risky choice, but it was a righteous choice. It was a spiritual decision. When Daniel looked around and saw the things of Babylon, man, he saw a lot of stuff for temptation. He saw walls 300 feet high, 80 feet wide. <laughs> he saw... That, those hanging gardens. He saw walls that were 60 miles long. He saw the Euphrates River running through the middle of the city that watered the city and had streets kind of like Venice has. And you could run in boats through the city. But the most spectacular was probably that uh, tower 600 feet high to Belmeridac, the false god, false religion. The purpose of feeding these boys the king's meat and the king's wine was to Babylonianize them, to Chaldeanize them. And can I just tell you that America has its own set of cultural decay that wants to make your kids Americanized and not in a good way. I'm a patriotic American. I love America. I don't know of any country in the world that's better. We got our faults, but thank God we live here. I'd rather be here in, as in Ukraine, and you? I'd rather be here than in Tehran. I'd rather be here than in China. Uh, there's a lot of different things that can happen in America, but it's still the greatest nation. And, but our nation has a culture that wants to take your children and paganize them to think the way they do that you can be any gender you want, that you don't have to get married, you can just live together, that you can do dope and alcohol, and you can be vulgar-mouthed, and you can be dishonest, and you can do all those things and have a mind like that. They want to change you because, see, us, us Christians, we're prudes. 
<laughs> we're prudes. We're outdated. Modesty doesn't matter anymore. You know, you got to get with the program and be modern. That's what the culture wants to teach our children. Well, that was the purpose of trying to get these boys to succumb to the king's meat and the king's wine. But in Daniel 1.8, if we look back there one more time, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He thought this through in his heart. Could he have done that? He could have. His parents probably weren't anywhere around. He pondered it in his heart. He thought it through. I mean, he's away from his parents and there's no law compelling him to give in. Uh, He's very young and young people can make some boneheaded decisions. Are you with me? Young people can make some boneheaded decisions. That's why mom and dad needs to be involved in training all the way from time they're in the crib till they leave home to help them keep from making those boneheaded decisions because we make a lot of dumb decisions when we're young. Not everybody does, but that's the general principle. God seemed to be nowhere around. Daniel could have done this. I mean, it doesn't seem like God's here. He could lose his comfortable status. He's considered one of the one of the boys in the upper echelon. And if he refuses to go along with the king's meat and the king's wine, he might be pushed out there just to be a common laborer instead of being in there with the science guys. He could lose that comfortable status. And he could say, Well, I'm just one person. What difference will I make? one person can make a big difference. His decision was guided by biblical consideration. Biblical consideration. The food was unclean. It had been offered to idols. So this is a spiritual decision he's making. This is not what God instructed our people to do, is to eat that kind of stuff. And strong drink is condemned in the Bible. And somebody asked me over the years, you know, how do, how do I know what God wants me to do and what God doesn't want me to do? Well, my standard answer is something like Psalm 119.9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Listen to the answer. By taking heed thereunto according to thy word. How do I know? What to do and what not to do? Believe this old book, read this old book, embrace this old book, and say, if the book says it's wrong, then I'm not supposed to do it. If the book says this is what I ought to be doing, then I ought to do it. That's pretty simple. Well, so preacher, how do I know all? That's a big Bible. How do I know everything in it? Well, that's why I encourage people to be in all the church services. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Have your kids in Master Club. 
That's why I encourage people to take Faith Bible Institute because this big old book is covered in its entirety. I mean, the whole thing. And that's how we know what we can do and what we can't do is by knowing the book. We often get calls from now on till Christmas time. We often get calls here at the church about people that have People ask us, you know, can you can you help us out? Our kids are not going to have a very big Christmas, and 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 we need we need to be able to buy them some gifts. And, and more often than not, they have spent their money on something else, <laughs> and now they want the church to buy the kids some gifts. I mean, they had they had money for cigarettes, they had money for the booze, they had money to do some fun things, <laughs> but they spent it. Poor decision. See, we're talking about decision making and making decisions ahead of time. And if you need money later on, you better plan what you're going to do with your money today because tomorrow and next month and next year's coming. And anyway, I I, just, I never make out a Christmas list. That way I'm not disappointed. <laughs> Whatever I get's more than what I had on my list. If somebody gets me, or if I don't get any gift, I didn't have anything on my list. And I think, Americans have gone crazy with trying to buy something bigger and better for their kids every year. Bigger and better gifts, I think, turn out bigger and meaner brads. <laughs> they get to expecting more and more and more. Give me, give me, give me. Well, I've seen some kids in the store at Walmart and Sam's Club and places like that grocery store having fits because they didn't get something they wanted or they get used to having stuff handed to them and they'll, they'll want it every kid wants stuff don't blame them, they're just little kids and they're going to want stuff, but it's our job to we got, we got a simple word we need to teach our kids are you ready? <laughs> who said that? brother Lloyd you, you've raised some kids haven't you? <laughs> you got to teach them that little two letter word no. Now you don't have to be mean. You don't have to get in their face. No! <laughs> I mean, that's kind of mean, isn't it? But you just teach them. And I, Dad, I want this. No. But what it, no. But can I just, no. <laughs> and then stick by your guns. <laughs> they need to learn there is such a word as No. They don't get everything they want. We have to learn to consider the consequences. His purpose, Daniel's purpose, was cinched by determination. In that verse 8 again, we're really focusing in on verse 8. It says he purposed. That's like, do you ever have something in the back of your truck and you want to strap it down, you pull some bungee cords across and strap it down so it don't blow out going down the road. That's called cinching it down. Or maybe you've got some furniture and you're afraid it might come a, a rain on your furniture while you're hauling it, so you put a tarp over it and strap it down. You cinch it down. Well, Daniel had cinched this thing down in his heart. I'm not going to defile myself in Babylon. I don't care if I'm there a year or 70 years. I'm not going to defile myself. He cinched it down. <laughs> I had a friend. 
this old town drunk, back before I got saved, he told me this story about his dad. He said his dad was out behind the house one day cutting down some trees, and he cut down one tree, and it, I don't know how it happened, but somehow that tree fell back on him, knocked him down, and fell right across his neck. And he said, luckily, there was just a little depression in the ground there, so it didn't break his neck, but the log had his head captured, and that tree was on top of him. He wasn't far behind the house, and so he started to cry out to his wife. He called her mom. Mom! Mom! He said he thought she'd never hear him. Finally, she came out. He said, Mom, I'm stuck. I'm, my head's stuck under this tree. See if you can lift it off. And she got down there, poor little thing, and she's trying to lift that log off of his neck. And she tried and grunted and strained. And after about five minutes, he said, Well, if you can't get it off, Mom, just let it go. I don't know how long he stayed there before they got help. But now he was cinched. Daniel was cinched in his heart. Man, he had it cinched down. I'm not going to defile myself. There's things more important than meat and wine. Now, secondly, he made a decision with a gracious spirit. He made a decision that was spiritual. All our decisions are spiritual when you get right down to it. But his decision was a gracious one too. See, he, he said to the prince of the eunuchs he said now I don't want to defile myself with that stuff he said just give me some beans and cornbread some water and the prince said no no he said man you'll lose weight and you'll get skinny looking and scraggly looking the king's going to be mad at me and I'll die he said well you've got three years but just give us give us ten days feed us this for ten days and see what happens and surely nothing wrong will go wrong in ten days I don't want to defile myself. And so the, the prince said, well, okay, 10 days. And so they brought him just simple food, not from the king's table, not the wine, simple food and water. And after 10 days, somehow God blessed that decision. God has a way of doing that. And they came out looking fatter and fairer than the guys that's eating all this rich food. And so then he says, well, can't believe this. You guys are looking all right. You see, now, what if Daniel, what if Daniel, instead of just asking him graciously to give him 10 days, what if he stomped his foot and said, No, I'm not drinking that stuff. I'm not eating that stuff. Get it out of here. You think it would have worked out that good? No, he was gracious. You see, we can refuse some things in Christian life. Our decisions need to be firm, but they can be gracious. Gracious. I had just gotten saved. I was a salesman for National Supply Company in Mountain Home, Arkansas. We sold air conditioning units and, and plumbing uh, supplies and things like that. And so I was a territorial sales guy, and I went, went around from store to store to uh, make sales. And so during that time is when I got saved. And they knew around the home office and around the warehouse, you know, we had to check in there pretty much every day. And so they knew what kind of guy I was before I got saved. And so then I got saved. And like Daniel, I mean, I didn't even have to have a lot of preaching to figure this out. I'd been a a drunkard and a doper before. I'd been immoral and vulgar before. I knew none of those things belonged in the Christian life. And so as soon as I got saved, I thought, man, I've got to lay this stuff aside. 
Well, they had a banquet at National Supply Company just a few weeks after I got saved. Had a, I think it was for the store employees, and salesmen, and for the customers. And, and they had been a big banquet set up there in the warehouse, and all kinds of food ordered in, and coolers full of wine and beer and liquor and mixed drinks and all of that. And so my wife and I went, and when we saw all the booze, I thought, man, we, we don't need to get involved in that. So we kind of got off to the side and nibbled around on a little food and stuff. And, and finally, the, the store manager came over to me. He said, Rick, and you're not, you're not got a drink. You don't, have, you don't even have a can of beer. I said, no. I said, I got saved last week or two weeks ago, however long it was. I said, I got saved. And I'm going to church and trying to live right. And he said, oh, oh, I didn't know that. And so he walked away. Well, in a few minutes, one of the other guys, store personnel came over. And he said, man, you've you got to get over into that wine and stuff. Man, this is good stuff. And I said, no, I got saved. And I'm not, uh, I'm not doing that anymore. He said, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and so pretty soon when they've all exhausted their influence to get me to get over into the drink section, <laughs> they finally gave up. We nibbled on the food a little bit and left before it was all over. And, but what if, how becoming would it be for a Christian just to get over and say, no, I'm not drinking that stinking, filthy stuff. <laughs> Made a lot of friends that way. Maybe won a bunch of them to Christ doing that, wouldn't I? <laughs> well, we can be gracious. Don't want to be like the, the state employee who went out, he went up to this old farmer's house out in the country and, and uh, He's, uh, he's about to cross over a fence. And uh, the farmer said, uh, <clears throat> Sir, you better not go over in that field there. And that guy said, I'll have you know, I work for the governor's office. And we're thinking about putting a new road through here. And I have authority to go on your land or anybody else's land. I can go anywhere I want to go. This is that same joke I told I said I was going to tell <laughs> He said, I can go anywhere I want to go. And he pulled out this card and he said, See that card? That authorizes me to go on your land and anybody else's land in this neighborhood. The farmer said, well, okay. And he went about his business. And the old boy climbed over the fence and went across the pasture. A few minutes, the old farmer heard this guy screaming, Help! Help! And he's running for his life. And he looks and there's this big old bull with long horns chasing that guy. And the guy said, Help me! What can I do? The old farmer said, Show him your card. Well, you know, being gracious has its advantages. Daniel was a gracious kind of guy. He made a decision. He made it in a gracious way. He had a gracious spirit before he got into the situation in Babylon. You know, we don't have to get into a tight spot in order to decide it's about time we show a gracious spirit. I mean, God can put you in such a spot, but it's better just to have a gracious spirit all along the way just to be kind-hearted, sweet-spoken, be firm, but be kind. Daniel was already that way before this conflict, and he considered the needs of others. Look, when that, when that prince of the eunuchs, <coughs> he said, look, if you guys turn out looking bad, I'm the one that's going to get my throat cut. Daniel said, I, I understand. I don't blame you. I'd be concerned too. Give us 10 days and see what happens. See, he's, he's considering this guy's got some problems he's trying to solve too. I heard one preacher say, <laughs> be kind to everybody because everybody's having a hard time. 
Well, he's looking out for the needs of others. You know, when we get so focused on our own selves and we don't care about anybody else and what their needs are, we're headed for trouble. He appealed to the proper authority. And this turned out to be a a God-blessed decision. Did it pay Daniel to make godly decisions? Adrian Rogers used to say, it pays to serve Jesus, it pays every day. And I think that's true. It pays to serve the Lord. How did it help Daniel? Well, in, in verse number 15, it shows that his testimony was strengthened. Verse 15 says, In the end of ten days their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the, the portion of the king's meat. Hey, those other guys, are, they're, they're scarfing down the, the wine and all that other rich food. But Daniel stood firmly but graciously on his decision to obey God and live for God. And his testimony was strengthened. Not so for those other guys. They compromised and gave in. So serving God strengthens the testimony. In verses 19 and 20, when he stood before the king, he ended up looking better than all the other guys. Testimony was strengthened. He ate what God allowed instead of what the king wanted, and his testimony was strengthened. You know, I think testimony is an important thing. I've heard some people say, I don't care what others think about me. Well, I don't think we can go around worrying about pleasing everybody. (laughs) You can't do that. But I think our testimony is important. I mean, if, if you passed by the liquor store and saw me parked out front throwing beer cans out the window, what would you think about me next Sunday morning when you come to hear me preach? I think we ought to have a testimony. And your kids need to see the testimony in their parents. What else happened because of Daniel's stand? Well, his life was lengthened. In verse number 21, it says, And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus, 70 years later, that thy days may be long upon the land. Hey, he, he said, I'm going to just do what God wants me to do. I'm going to live for God. I'm not going to let the king and the Chaldeans influence me to do wrong. I'm just going to do what's right. I'm not going to make a big show out of it. I'm just going to do what's right. And he continued serving for 70 years. Wow. His life was lengthened. He was resolved in his decisions. Now, he was tested like in the lion's den. Remember that? Daniel got tested. Just because you live right doesn't mean you won't undergo some tests. But because you decide to make decisions that are consistent with God's will, that will strengthen you for the next test that's to come. Because the test will always be in the future. You're always going to have some more. Even the rock, the house that was built on the rock, in Matthew 7, 25, verse 24, it says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to the wise man which built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house on the rock. That's the man who decides he's going to do as the Lord says. He's going to obey the Lord. But wait, read verse 25. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. So here's what I'm saying. Just because you decide to live for God and obey God doesn't mean the tests won't come. Just like the house on the rock, it was solid and it was going to stand, but the rain still beat down on it, and the rain will beat down on you and me. But as we stand for the Lord, the next test 
will be easier to withstand. How do we conclude all this? We've got to be done. Daniel knew the importance of making godly decisions early in life. Don't be a helicopter parent. Let your kids make some mistakes. I mean, I don't say go, let them go out and decide if they're going to get drunk or shoot drugs in their veins or something like that. But when kids are little, they need to be given a perimeter. They ought to be allowed a perimeter. Now, if they get outside that perimeter, you lower the boom on them. <laughs> but they ought to be allowed to make some decisions within that perimeter and make some mistakes inside that perimeter. How do you learn? By making mistakes. <laughs> and how do they become wise? By making mistakes. You warn them and say, I wouldn't do that. It's your choice. Within certain bounds. And then when they fail, I say, well, I guess mom and dad was right after all. When my dad, my dad, when I was 16 years old, I thought he was the dumbest guy in the world. When I got to be 21, I thought, well, he's a little smarter than I thought. When I got to be 35, 40, I thought, boy, Dad was a lot smarter than I thought. Now I think this man might have been one of the wisest men I knew. <laughs> we, have to, we have to let our children make some mistakes, give them instruction, give them some boundaries. They can't go outside those boundaries. Let them make some mistakes so they learn how to make wise decisions. A helicopter parent rescues them from everything. I've seen parents in churches before. If some other little kid said something to their kid to upset them or took a toy away from them or, or hurt their feelings in some way, that mother would jump on the other kid or go jump on the other mother to try to rescue their own kid. Let those kids battle it out. <laughs> yeah? I'm not talking about letting them get stabbed or shot, bones broken or anything like that. But let those kids work out their own problems. Moms and dads don't need to rescue them every little thing. Let them have the chance to stumble and fall. That's how they learn to work things out. That's the way it was when I went to school, and I think we had a lot wiser young people back then than we do now. <laughs> right? I would ask this question. Have you made some decisions that you think probably weren't wise? All of us have. Anyway. Well, what about the decisions that's going to come further down the road? We better prepare today and know ahead of time. Sir, what are you going to do when that good-looking woman winks at you on the job or someplace when you're away from your wife? She winks at you and tries to flirt with you. Have you made up your mind yet what you're going to say, what you're going to do? When she bats those eyelashes at you that like that long, what are you going to do? If you know ahead of time, she does that to me. Well, I can't slug her. But I can tell her real quick, I'm in love with my wife. I haven't got time with you, ma'am. Make decisions ahead of time. How will I react? What about when somebody offers you that cigarette, that dope, that beer? What are you going to do? What about when somebody invites you to go to their church that doesn't believe salvation the way we do? They believe you've got to work for it or some other weird doctrine. Are you going to say, well, I'll come over and visit with you a time or two? 
I don't even like the idea of trading visits, really. You come to my church this time, and I'll go to your church next time. That usually doesn't work out very good. <laughs> I just believe in being loyal to my own church. Daniel was in the middle of a horrible place, but he made the best of it. They had astrologers, witchcraft, horoscope. I don't know if they had Ouija boards yet in those days. I don't know if they celebrated Halloween or not. We didn't, we didn't let Aaron go trick-or-treating and wear devilish costumes for Halloween. <laughs> people, thought, people thought we were weird because we didn't let him dress up like a skeleton or a devil. Wait, what is godly about that anyway? Celebration of death, the celebration of devils? I don't have anything to do with it myself. When we have our fall festival, we're celebrating harvest, not devils. And so we've got a lot of stuff going on in America that's not all that different than what they had going on in Babylon. But Daniel said, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to make a big scene. I'm not going to try to hurt somebody else, but I'm just going to live for God. That's what you and I need to do. Learn to make wise decisions. Father, I pray that you bless us. Help us, Lord, to be settled in our heart, to be cinched firmly on your word. And Lord, we look for your word to tell us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And Lord, we don't we understand we don't do that to get saved, but we do that because we are saved. I pray you'd help us learn to live for you and to please you and not to uh, be concerned about what the world thinks about us. I pray you'd bless during this invitation time in Jesus' name.